0: You know, there were these two, uh, actually three people were arriving up in heaven one day and there's the, uh, there's a Catholic priest that shows up and a Baptist minister shows up and one of the pastors from Light City end up showing up all in the same day. And Saint Peter meets them all at the pearly gates and he's going to give them their final test. They have to, have, a, have to pass a final test before he lets them into the kingdom of heaven. And he puts all three of them before him and says, I have a spell testing question for you. And he said, who wants to go first? And the Light City pastor was at the back waving. saying, pick me, pick me, pick me. And St. Peter looks a little disgusted at him. And he says, okay, and he turns over to the Catholic priest. And he says, I need, I need you to tell me how you spell God. And the Catholic priest is sweating a little bit. He's a little nervous. And he, he okay, I got this one. I got this one. He goes, G, uh, uh, O." Uh, uh, D. He says, good. St. Peter says, good. And you can enter into the kingdom of heaven. St. Peter says, who would like to go next? And the light city person is li- lifting their hand and shouting, pick me, pick me, pick me. And St. Peter says, Ugh. and he, said, he t- calls forth the Baptist minister and he says, I need you to tell me how do you spell sin? And the, the Baptist pastor struggles for a moment and he said, wait a minute, I got this one. S I uh, N. And now, St. Peter claps for him and enters. They come out and in, enter into the kingdom of heaven. And St. Peter looks around. The only person left for their test is the uh, Light City pastor. And so St. Peter looks at him and says, "How do you spell Czechoslovakia?" <laughs> can I tell you something? What we're going to be talking about today may be a bit of a difficult. You can always tell if it's going to be a little harsh when Pastor Ian starts with a joke. We're going to be talking about some things today. I'm speaking to you as your pastor. We're in the final series. As you know, we're spending time this month talking about God, God being mighty, God being mighty to save, God being mighty to lead, God being the mighty one that we follow, that we are his champions. We are his cheerleaders. We're the ones calling out the name of God wherever we go. But can I tell you something that this this issue that we are dealing with in our in our culture right now, this separation that is being required of us, this virus that is driving us apart, we're being asked to di- to distance ourselves. We're being asked to isolate. We're being asked to quarantine. And you know, it comes. It's dark. This is our this is our special service. We have one service every year where we celebrate as a congregation uh, this concept of that it's better that we are together. Uh, you know, better together is coming into stark contrast with what is going on in our culture today, where all of the pressure that we are hearing from all around us is a pressure to separate us, to to divide us, to cause us to be by ourselves. And can I tell you something i've 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 held on to my tongue as long as I possibly can i've I've been good, I've been in the pulpit several times, and I've been mostly good. the relatively i've been on average good over the last little while, but I feel like what, what we have to do is we have to spend some time and we have to discuss what does it mean for us as the kingdom of God, for us as the children of God called individuals, God senting us here, putting our lives into motion on this planet because he has a purpose and a desire for us. And we need to be able to gather together as a congregation. We need to begin to have an open dialogue about what does that actually mean how do we as Christians respond? How do we as light city people respond to this stuff that is going on around us all the time? And we're going to be spending a little bit of time today to maybe allow my voice to have a little bit of uh, of, of sway. In, and I'm not telling you what to do. Everybody has to make their own decisions. You know, I tell you, if I'm not a medical professional. I'm giving you my opinion, not my advice, so that I'm legally covered for the things that I'm going to be saying to you today. But I need you to know that I, I, I just want you to, I, I want you to ha- take a moment with some of the words that I'm going to be sharing with you today and see if they make a little bit of sense to you as a Christian. <clears throat> we're struggling in our world today because we're finding ourselves at cross purposes, and I understand. I'm not, I don't live in a vacuum. I have a family. I have children. I have grandchildren, and uh, they're very, you know, all of you, and the way we interact together is f- very important to me. But what is equally important to me is that we can understand from the perspective of the kingdom of God, in this moment of history, that we understand, that we know as Christians, how are we to respond? What is the right answer in a, in, in a moment where there seems to be a whole bunch of wrong answers, but <clears throat> people are really struggling to find the right one. I apologize for my voice today. No, I do not have COVID. I... I have what we referred to in the olden days as a sore throat. I don't know if you are remembering. This is when I petition the, the worship team. Usually I say, that if you're ever going to get me to lead, this would be the Sunday to have me lead because this is when my ch- I channel my inner Lou Rawls and I can I can sing. You'll never find as long as you live. So I apologize in advance if somewhere in the next 45 minutes or so, you see my lips moving and nothing is coming out of them. Can I tell you something? We are making history where we are at right now. What we are are experiencing right now has never happened before. Can I tell you something? For 2,000 years, the kingdom of God has experienced all kinds of problems. But not once in all of the 2,000 years have those problems caused us as a community, as a church, to stop gathering together. You can read in your Bible many of these accounts in the book of Acts and some of these experiences where where Paul would run up against the pagan religious leaders of his day and just by Paul opening his mouth, gathering a few people and opening their mouths together that can I tell you something, they were putting their life at risk. They were run out of town. You know, Paul refers to uh, this as a, a light momentary affliction when they take him to the outskirts of town and they kill him. Yeah. Dead-like, yeah. really dead-like. He refers to that having his feet beaten. Now, that might seem like it's a something happens to you at a spa nowadays. <laughs> but in those days, what happened, they would beat your feet with, steel, with wood or, 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 uh, or bricks, uh, stones, until your feet would no longer have solid bone in them. And that you would be a clubfoot. When that healed, it would just heal as a big, huge mass of bone. And you would forever be walking around on club feet. Paul refers to this as a light, momentary affliction. When... The religious leaders, he would, out, and then he would go, to the, go, go a little bit down the street and he would go to one of the synagogues and the, the religious leaders, they, they would see him there. They, they, would, they would, he would be gathering a little bit of a community together and talking to them a little bit about this amazing man, Jesus. Can I tell you something? They wanted to kill him. Assembling together at that time was not that you may get a sore throat. Not that I'm gonna, uh, 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 give me a minute on this. But it was dangerous for them. gather at this time these this was uh much like the religious extremism that we see in our world today where there would be a merciless a merciless psychopathic mob that would go after you and your life would be threatened at this time you all remember emperor nero do you remember nero as he would go and hunt around for christians in order to as pastor alex had mentioned over the last couple weeks? that it would be be a a, a terrible experience for you should you ever be caught gathering together and lifting up the name of Jesus, you were taking your life into your own hands. Paul himself was part of this religious community where he was hunting Christians, looking for them as they would gather together, men, women, children, and these people would be stoned. They would be executed under the hand of Paul. Can I tell you something? There's been doctrinal. Finally, when Rome began to under the under the Emperor uh, Constantine began to organize everybody. The the whole picture here was that there was going to be a unified Christianity. There was going to be one unified group of people under Constantine's direction. You know what? Can I tell you something? You got two Christians into a room, and you know what? You start you start a fight. There would be Christians on one side who wanted to wear masks and Christians on the other side who didn't want to wear masks. And then there was Christians over here that wanted to wash their hands after they peed and Christians over there who didn't want to wash their hands after they peed. And they all had scripture to back up why they held their position. So what happened when Constantine put two Christians in the same room? The problem of gathering together was that we fought with each other. And then you have the Dark Ages, this terrible season. The plague was coming through. Over and over and over and over again. Not a plague that gave you a sniffle. A, a plague that rotted pieces of your body off you until you died. But the kingdom did not stop gathering. The kingdom did not stop gathering. The season of the Enlightenment and the Renaissance came into our history where all of a sudden people started to realize that this religion stuff was, a, was just a, 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 a magic potion. It was just a box full of tricks. And all of a sudden, it became to be vilified to be like you and I, who worship God. It became uh, only the things that the foolish do. The, the mentally incompetent people would be those who were still crutching on to their God. But Christians didn't stop meeting. They didn't stop gathering together. You had the Inquisition and the Crusades, and you had... Two world wars and cholera and influenza. Influenza at the time taking 50 million people to heaven. Polio and smallpox and Ebola and Zika and on and on and on and on and on. It has gone in our history as human beings. But not one Sunday did we miss gathering together. Not one Sunday did we let any of these forces say that we need to disconnect. We need to stop gathering. We need to stop being together. You see, we live in a post-Christian culture now. We've, uh, we have the wonderful designation. I was going to have t-shirts made for all of us on the first day that we closed this building because there's people in this world that say that what we do is non-essential. We were going to have t-shirts made that said we are essential. At least us at Light City are essential, that we come together as a family, that we don't do some of the things that we're being asked to do. That's not part of our culture to do that. Why? Because we are Christians, that we have faced things that people today have no idea about. And we didn't stop gathering. We didn't minimize the importance of being together. You know, I'm interested in being a cooperative citizen, very interested in being a cooperative citizen. I don't think the answer to this equation is for us to stick our finger up the nose of some politician or some person in authority. I don't think that's the answer to start fights where we do not need to start fights. I don't think we need to be rude. I don't think we need to be impolite. I don't think we have to care more about ourselves than we care about other people. I don't think that's the answer. I think we're smart enough to come to a different place, Come smart enough to be able to understand even a few scriptures to say, yes, I understand. Where do we go from here? You know, in the olden days, they would draw maps. The very first thing that you would do if you were an explorer, your very first job was to go make a map. And it was funny, if you look at some of these maps, you can see there's a little edge. And then they would draw pictures of monsters sea monsters and, and, and these kind of things. You know why they would dry those, draw those? Because they would say, we don't know wh- what's over there. We don't know what the answer, we don't know what you're gonna face. We don't know what's going to be on the other side of this. Can I tell you that we're walking much of the same journey right now ourselves. We would think we've mapped the entire world with our satellites and our GPSs and our cell phones and our iPods and our all of it. But can I tell you something? We're, there is still untrodden territory and we are treading that right now. We need to have a decision as to how, what is my stand? Who am I as a Christian? And what is my relationship to what is going on in the world right now? When we close, with very, very, as you will remember back in uh, March, I'm not interested in being an uncooperative citizen of the community. If somebody else is in, is in charge and they need to, make some rules best they know how. We didn't know anything about the virus at the time. We didn't know what was gonna happen. And so they asked us to stay home. And so I'm, I, we're willing, I'm not being uncooperative. If you're listening to me today, I'm not trying to be uncooperative. You can see that in our decisions as with the very first moment, the Saturday when I heard that we need to close and bam, we were closed. We told you all to remember if you were there, if you were with us at the time, you know you jumped online and you didn't miss a thing. Thank God for those people that have been supporting this ministry for the last years because there's cameras and there's, there's bits and pieces and contraptions and flarks and thingamajigs all over this place that are causing us to be able to, do you can move to China, you can still come to church here. You may be in China right now as you're looking at me. You may be in China right now and you're watching us. Vanuatu, if you're there, one of our favorite places, we're famous, by the way, in Vanuatu. I didn't even know where Vanuatu was. But can I tell you something, although we were swift to obey the authorities, we were swift to close. When they said we could open, we were swift to open. Can I tell you why we were swift to open, why we didn't waste one Sunday? Was because we believe in what we are doing. I'm not standing here because I believe that what I am doing is non-essential. I'm not here, I'm not spending my life with this project because I believe that what I am doing is unimportant and I do not take your money out of your pocket because I believe that what we are doing is unimportant. It's not like that. I believe that what we are doing is valuable and essential to the well being of our community. If you owned real estate in Crystal Beach before we got there, you know you could have bought a whole block. I know a woman who bought a whole block in Crystal Beach for $20,000. You go ahead and try to do that now. When we started this, we bought this building, in, in th- this building right here, and we decided we were gonna lift our hands to heaven and keep our feet touching on the ground. Can I tell you something, when you were here, your property value hadn't moved in 20 years. I know, I own property here. Can I tell you something, if you owned property here, when we opened this building in 2007, let me tell you something, you are a happy camper today. Can I tell you why? Because what happens in a local community when somebody, one person, will lift their hand and say, God is God? Can I tell you something? God comes to visit. Come and can I tell you something of what happens when God comes to visit? Everything changes. Everything goes up when God comes to town. Can I tell you something? You may not understand how it works. You may not see it, you know, not, not see the mechanics. You may not hear the newspaper touting it. But I, can I tell you something? This, this town is transformed. Because you decided to come here and lift your hands. Are we grateful for our mayor? Yes. Are we thankful for our leaders? Yes. But can I tell you something? We had mayors and leaders long before God decided to come to to town and nothing changed here. I tell you something. I was talking to somebody the other, hearing a story from somebody the other day that listed their home. They're ready to make a move in their lives right now. And there were 60 people lined up down the street to bid on that home. 50%, 50%, I think, I don't, I'm, my math is escaping me because I'm too excited to have candies in my mouth. He, so, he sold his house for 25% more than he listed it for. That person is sitting in the room with you today. Don't tell me that what we're doing here is non-essential. You may not be able to connect the dots. Our mayor may not be able to connect the dots. Maybe our premier or our prime minister can't connect the dots. But can I tell you something? All good things, all good things come from God. We don't live in a blessed society because our politicians are good. We don't live in a blessed society, although I'm glad they are. We're not blessed because our police are good, or our firemen are good, or our doctors are good, or our cell phones are good, or our highways are good, or any of those things, although I thank God for everything that is surrounding us in the opulent blessing that only kings enjoyed in ages past. Can I tell you something? The reason that we are blessed is not because our politicians can give edicts and laws. We are blessed because God loves this country. Can I tell you something, Buffalo? You are blessed because you love God and God loves your country. You are not unessential. Your prayers are not wasted. Your worship does not evaporate into the, into the, the, the noise of this culture. Can I tell you something? It reaches the very ears of God in heaven. I consider what we are doing to be immensely important to our community. I consider what's going on in your life as God is transforming you to be essential for our culture, for our species, to uh, to find our way after a hundred years of liberal revivals where, where concepts and philosophies that are that are repugnant to the creator of this very planet, have had their way filling the minds, filling the worldviews of people from one side of the globe to the other. Can I tell you something? My hope is sitting in this room. My hope is that God understands how to raise good kids. But can I tell you something? God's gonna have to have have a voice. You know, if I'm going to be a silent father and Tina is going to be a silent mother, then we're not going to raise good kids. They're not going to figure it out on their own. If we are going to be raised up as good kids, we got to gather together. You know why we got to gather together? Because we have to listen. We have to open our minds, even if we don't want to hear. You don't want to hear what I'm saying today, perhaps. Maybe you you already have your finger on the button, on the mouse, ready to click me off. I don't know. see, I believe the pandemic has become more politics than it has science. I think it's become more legal than logical. I think it's become about defeating a virus rather than helping people. Can I tell you something? We've had the influenza virus on this planet for a hundred years, more. Can you, can you find me be somebody on the planet that knows how to defeat the influenza virus? Every year it comes through. Can I tell you something? There's no point. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you are in the medical community. I'm not saying don't keep fighting. Don't keep trying. But if you haven't been able to do it in 100 years, let's not shut the whole world down and make us all starve until you figure it out this time. I'm sorry if that makes you mad. Can I tell you something? Our culture is not tolerant of inconvenient answers to important questions. Our culture is not tolerant of inconvenient answers. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that, that somebody, one of our grandfathers, took hold of an apple one day and started the mutation of viruses on the planet and we can't stop it. And so people have been being sick since that guy bit that apple. I'm sorry about that. But can I tell you something? We must go on as a species. We must go on as a people. If we have the answer, we need to start standing up and saying we have the answer. We have to stop pretending that other people have answers they don't have. And I'm not saying they aren't learning. Goodness sakes, I have very dear people. There's medical people who are in this community right now, in our church, who are working night and day because people are being affected by this. But can I tell you something? We have to we have to face the inconvenient answers to these important questions as people. Or else we are going to cross a line that we cannot come back from. Can I tell you a few of my caveats before you get so mad at me you throw things? Can I tell you? I hate sickness. I hate suffering. I hate suffering of any kind. In my job, I, I've seen more than I ever want to see. I don't want to see another sick person. I don't, want to, I don't want to bury another child. I don't want to hold on to another husband as he buries his wife or, or pray with another wife as she buries her husband. I don't want, I haven't even buried my own father yet. Can not tell you, if you think that I'm being callous by the things that I'm saying today, I'm not being callous. I have had it up to here with suffering. I don't want to see any more tears. I've seen enough. You know, I hate the very concept of death. I hate it so much. In this very room, I have buried children. Parents have brought their children in here. There's people in this room right now. We've buried your wife. We've buried your husbands. Can I tell you something? We were never designed to experience death. That's why we hate it so much. We despise it on the inside this this crazy detour that we all have to take between who we were meant to be and who we will become when God has his way with us and we live in our glorified bodies. We have this detour we have to take now. We have to go through death. We have to experience sickness maybe in our lives. We have to comfort those people. We can't help them that much, but we just hold their hands. I tell you something, we were never designed for that stuff. We were never designed to shed a tear saying goodbye to somebody that we love. I'm sorry, I rehearsed that over and over and over again. I I tried to say it without becoming emotional. But please give me your ear. Today, I know I'm not going to say things maybe that you're going to like, but please give me your ears. Please allow me to tell you that I am desperate for the kingdom of God. If you know me, you know that I searched the world over if there was a little blue pill or there was a magical formula, if there was a way out, if there was a philosophy, if there was an idea, if there was a religion, if there was a government, if there was a way that I had found on this planet to heal the suffering that I see all around me all the time, and we don't even suffer, then I would be following it with all of my might. But can I tell you something I have found, that it is only found in one place. There is only one answer to the suffering of humanity, and that is the kingdom of God resident in the earth, where the ways of God have transformed us from the inside out and and, and we become the agent of order. We, have the, we are the agent of healing. We are the agents of abundance. We are the, the agents of peace everywhere we go. Can I tell you that is only going to happen when the kingdom of God is resident in the earth and the only way that's gonna happen is if the word of God, the power of God, the voice of God has the ability to reach each one of our hearts and the only way that's going to happen, can I tell you, stay at home Churchers, the only way that's going to happen is if you're guts enough to come and sit down again next Sunday and say, I'll listen to this clown one more time. Because the Word of God has got to have the ability to transform us. If it doesn't transform us, then we're hiding in our basement, whether we're there or not. I have found that you only found in one place. Can I tell you something? You cannot understand this with your mind. I've tried. Goodness sakes. I would have been so far ahead of the game if I could have understood this with my mind. Can I tell you something? You can't understand God with your mind. Something happens on the inside of a human being. I don't even know what it is. But something happens on the inside of a human being when God visits. Something changes where you used to be hopeless and you're not hopeless anymore. You used to be afraid, you're not afraid anymore. You used to think the world shined out of your nose, but now you care more about other people than you care about yours. I don't know how in the world God does that, but can I tell you God does that? I see it over and over and over and over and over and over again, so much so that I do what I do because I can't wait to see it happen one more time. Can I tell you that's the answer? But you know, you must be willing to understand in order for you to understand. We have to have a place where we go. We have to gather together. We have to have a voice. We have to let God have a moment in people's lives where they can experience this transcendent encounter in the presence of Almighty God. For that, that, is the answer to the suffering that's on this planet, that is the answer to the COVID. It's the answer to the riots, it's the answer to the tyranny, it's the answer to the genocide, it's the answer to the poverty, it's the answer to the sickness, it's the answer at the divorce court, it's the answer at the hospital, it's the answer at the bank manager's office, it's the answer wherever you will find suffering. You will find the kingdom of God is the answer These are very challenging times. One of the reasons that I believe in our better together service, even though everybody in the whole wide world is saying you're better to stay home and and, and be in your basement and check out Netflix for another day. Can I tell you something? That's not me. That me is saying that we're better together. You're here because you believe you're better together. You'll make a list of 100 reasons why you shouldn't be here today. Can I say hello? Can I say hello to the heroes that are in the room? That are rising up on a sunday morning and getting their butt into the church supporting the other people that are coming giving their money and their tithes to be able to see that tomorrow has a kingdom of god in it you know can i tell you something if if god not going there you know if we Bible says, iron sharpen iron. In, in Proverbs, it tells us, in chapter 27 in Proverbs, it tells us that iron sharpens iron. It doesn't, doesn't, if it sits in the ground. Iron that sits in the ground, you know what it does? It rusts. If we interact, we get sharper. If we isolate, we get duller. Can I tell you something? The, the, the last 100 years ago, let me tell you a little bit of a story. I'm not, I'm not going to keep to my time today. I'm not coming back to say the second half of this next week you may not come back. <laughs> I'll tell you that in a minute. You know, there are often sparks when we come together. We're often, there's often sparks when God talks. I don't know if you noticed. Can I, I have a life hack. You know, I, I was raised with a very, uh, uh, she's watching, so. An, an extroverted mother who had lots of, very strong opinions. Can I say it like that? Mom, without you being mad at me, she's in heaven right now, but I wouldn't put it past my mother, I'm telling you, to come back and just smarten me up. (laughs) Because I was raised in that kind of an environment, I learned something very important. It's a life hack that I have, and I'm going to share it with you, and you can write it down, maybe tweet it, because it'll save your life a hundred times between now and tomorrow morning if you'll use it. That life hack is to better, better to say nothing and offend no one than it is to say something and offend everyone. That's a, that's a life hack that I have. That's a, that's a rule. You may not know that because your relationship with me may be sitting in that chair watching me talk to you. I, if you know me at all, you know that I don't talk a lot. I I try not to say anything unless somebody asks a question. I tend not to. My my wife is arguing with me in her mind right now because I have tried because of our marriage. I try to have more to say. You you don't necessarily want to be married to a couch. And so you don't want them to interact every now and again. But my way of life is I I don't want to start a fight. I don't want to say anything that's going to offend you so that you have to say something to offend me. I'm, I'm not interested in that. But can I tell you something? God does not ascribed to this idiom. God doesn't seem to have a problem coming into the day and saying stuff that people don't like that he says. You know, it's weird that God wanted to write a book. I mean, if he just was gonna come and do some miracle for us and make COVID vanish, then why did he need to write the book? Why did he wanna engage in a conversation with us? Why did he send us the Holy Spirit? Can I tell you something? Listen, the, the, the Holy Spirit didn't come. If you, if you read those chapters in John 14, 15, 16, 14, 15 mainly, but keep going if you can. It doesn't say that, he, that the Holy Spirit came to tell us or order us or command us or require us. It says that he came to lead us and, and guide us and show us and teach us, to abide with us, to comfort us, to remind us and testify to us. He wants to have a conversation, he wants, but he wants to talk. He doesn't want to tell you what to do. He wants to engage in a conversation with you. He wants, to, he wants to share his thoughts. You know, if God was just going to show up and do everything for us, then why did he want to come for, have a conversation first? Why didn't he just leave me dull and ineffective? That's not a bad life. As long as somebody pay you to be it. And just leave the keys to the Lambo in the mailbox. Why didn't God just do that? You know, Mark chapter four, one of the best, as you know, one of the best chapters of the Bible. They're all good, but, I mean, if you're gonna rate them. It says that the way we interact with God is that God says something, then we get glad about it, and then persecution and affliction comes, and then we get offended. And then God does a miracle, 30, 60, and 100-fold. That's how the story goes. So I'm thinking to myself, God, why didn't you just cut right to the do the miracle 30, 60, and 100-fold part? Why do we have to do the talking and the offending part? Doesn't that make you wonder? I mean, God's pretty smart, right? Why did he do it that way? Because we sharpen one another. He sharpens us first. And then when we talk to each other about what he said, it sharpens each other. Can I tell you, God knows how to raise good kids. I still believe in that life hack, by the way. I'm not going to diss that life hack, that you're better to say nothing if you're going to offend everybody and there's no good in it. Don't do that. But can I tell you something, there are times, even though it is better not to offend my job does not give me that luxury. I don't get to just abdicate my responsibility and, and preach nice. I mean, I will preach nice, I promise. Come back sometime and you hear me preach nice. You know, there was this <clears throat> kerfuffle in the back of a, of a church building and uh, the doors were rattling open and all of a sudden this... Beggarly old fella just runs into the sanctuary and peels around the corner and jumps into the, the confessional at the back of the church. And the priest was waiting for him and you know very solemnly waiting for the for the for the for the, for the, uh, the new convert to to ex- express himself to share what's on his heart and so he waits for a moment as into nothing. The person doesn't say anything. And so then the priest kind of politely <coughs> He tries to draw his attention to the uh, 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 start, do something, I'm here. And still a minute or so goes by and there's no answer still, the person is not say anything. And, and so the priest kind of knocks quietly on the side of the confessional wall and then all he hears from the other side is, sorry mate, I can't help you, there's no toilet paper on this side either. Only Catholics, I think, would get that one. Can I tell you, I told you that joke because we're not done yet for the day. The Lord spoke to me a few days ago and he said this to me. He said, Ian, it's, it's time to right the ship. It's time to get back to work. Maybe you found that the, the church was maybe hitting the rocks a wee bit. Maybe it was stuck in the waves a wee bit. Maybe it was listing a wee bit with taking on some water, but now it's time to right the ship, time to get going. I'll tell you a little bit of a story. I heard this only as legend from my father, but my father would not, knew this man personally, and so I'm, I'm gonna tell you a story about a man named Father Frank Carey. Father Frank has gone to heaven, and goodness sakes, he'll be, he'll be in one of the mansions right down the street from Jesus, the man, the way he lived his life, as you'll see in a moment. One of the great mentors of my life, and, and I've, spent, I've only spent, in my adult years, only spent moments with him, maybe two days, when we were, Pastor Tina and I were in Africa a few years ago visiting some of the places that I lived as a child. But in those two days, I can tell you something, he has profoundly changed my life, and, and because of that, profoundly changed yours. I hear a story about him when he was a younger man. <clears throat> Father Frank had been in Africa his whole life. He left the, the Hebrides when he was 12 or 13 years old. He went to, this, to, the, to the seminary, became a priest. And when he left the seminary, he went directly to Africa and began to minister to the what was now 1945 Africa. There are no roads, there's no sewers, there's no buildings, there's no structure, there's nothing, there's bush. And the way that they would get around in those days, because there's no, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but there was a time when we did not have motor vehicles, we did not have airplanes, we didn't have these type of things. And so to get there, Father Frank took a ship and sailed to the continent, and then he bought a bicycle and he began, could you imagine that day? When Father Frank would get off, got off that boat, bought himself a bicycle or bought a bike with him, and started off, where did he go? He just went that way because he knew that there were people on this continent that did not know something that he knew. He didn't know it because he had read it in a book or some seminarian had taught him it. He knew it in that special place that only God can make you know stuff. He knew that there was suffering all around the world and he wanted to be part of the answer to that suffering. And he knew the only answer to that suffering was God. And that people would know God, that they would meet him through his... Dead, buried, and resurrected, Son Jesus, and so he took off on that bicycle that day, and he never stopped. Father Carey died in 2009. He died in South Africa. He was a professor at Oxford. I don't know if you heard that university. They couldn't get him to stay there. Every time they'd open, they'd unlock his door, he'd take off, get on a plane, and go back to Africa. He wasn't interested in the academics. He wasn't interested in the theology as much as he was interested in helping people. There's one story that my father tells, told. My father has gone to heaven since Christmas, as many of you know. Thank goodness. He's back with my mother where he wanted to be, so we don't, don't, we don't mourn him except to get used to the fact that we can only remember what he said. We can't hear him say it anymore. He tells me the story of Father Frank one day when he was driving down this, on his bicycle driving down what would, must have been an almost invisible path that he was wandering to try and find another tribe. He was trying to find, minister to people. He had a, a parish that probably was the size of a, of, a, of a country as he was working to try and find people to tell them about Jesus. and He heard a rumor in the, in the village that he had just left. He heard a rumor that there was a tribe that way who no white person had ever no uh that's not a good way to say it no christian had ever been there before Uh, it was a rumor the only problem was that between this village and that village was a swamp i don't know if you know anything about african swamps in 1940 there may have been some creatures in that swamp I don't know if you've seen the movies about the creatures that come out of swamps, but there might have been a few of those in that swamp. Father Frank that day left the village and he put his bike on his shoulder. (laughs) And he took off across, across that swamp. Because there might have been some people over there who needed to know Jesus. Can I tell you something? Our Christianity is not going to be graded on a bell curve. When I get to heaven, I, I don't know who's going to be the guy who's in line in front of me. Is it going to be somebody who was martyred for their Christianity in, in China? Was there, is there going to be somebody whose was family was executed in front of them by some Isl- Islamic terrorist because they wouldn't denounce the name of Jesus? And then they're going to, the Lord's going to ask me, how'd your life go? I died comfortably in my bed. 72 degrees, air conditioned. Egyptian cotton sheets. Memory foam mattress. We're not going to be graded on the bell curve. I was listening, my wife and I were listening. I recommend you go and do, watch this video. It's, it'll, trans, it'll change your life. It's a video with Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's kind of a recent uh, you know, YouTube thingamajig. Great thinker. Jordan Peterson was uh, having an interview with Dennis Prager and I recommend you find it, be easy to find on, on YouTube. And Dennis was asking him about a question that they had been po- people had posed to him over and over and over again. He's a philosopher kind of guy, you know. So people are very interested to know, like, what religious affiliation do you have? And he won't tell them. Matter of fact, he tells them, he says, it's, it, the, the question offends me, he says. I don't like the question. He says, because he's, I'm terrified that that I'm going to answer the question to say, yes, I believe in God. And then you're going to look at my life and you're going to see that it doesn't look like I do. He says, I'm terrified of the question because I don't think I live like I believe in God. Can I tell you something? That's the most profound answer to that question that I have ever heard. Let us not be as a church. Let us not be those people that believe in God, but don't act like we do. Who cower and and we're afraid. I'm not telling you if you're afraid, we can help you with that. I'm not saying it's not real. It is real. Fear is suffering. Fear is torment. But let's get at that and fix it. In Judges chapter 6, we have the story of the of Gideon and the Coronavites who were trying to come. Every year, these Coronavites, Midianites, sorry, these Coronavites were coming every year and stealing the harvest from the Israelite people. They would go out into their fields and they would raise up their crops. You know, these Coronavites, they wouldn't even take the food home with them. They would trample it into the ground. They would kill the animals. They would they're trying to starve out. They were so psychopathic. They were trying to starve out the people of Israel because of the land that they had and and these coronavites, they wanted that land. Gideon was trying to look after his family and so Gideon is hiding. He's threshing the wheat and and he's hiding behind the wine press because they weren't going to look there. It wasn't time for wine yet and so the, the Midianites had no reason to go over to the wine press and see what's going on there because there was no grapes yet. So Gideon knew he was safe to go and do a little bit of work and hide a few bags of grain that he could feed his children. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon and says to Gideon, "I said, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Come out. Let's do something. Do you know who you are? And Gideon had... Maybe something you and I would perhaps do as well. That we would take that moment of visitation with with an angel of God to begin to complain about God and not doing a good enough job in our lives. That's what Gideon did. He said, if there is a God, then why are these Midianites around? If there is a God who would rescue Moses and, and defeat Pharaoh, then who is that God in front of these Coronavites? Can I tell you something? The reason that, God had to come and visit with Gideon is the same reason that I have to come and visit with you today. Because God is not going to come and solve the coronavirus problem. I hate to tell you, next time Jesus comes to this planet, it is not going to be to give you an aspirin. The way God solves problems is he raises up people. The way God solves problems is he raises good kids. And if he sees them hiding out in their basements or hiding out behind wine presses or hiding out, he talks to them and he reminds them who they are. He says to Gideon, he says, come out from there. Come out from there the angel says to Gideon, and the Lord looked upon him and he says to to Gideon, go in this thy might that you shall save Israel. What might? What might? Gideon was the same Gideon he was the year before. All of a sudden, God shows up and magically Gideon can do something that he couldn't do before? No. What Gideon didn't realize was that he could have done it before. If he would have acted like he believed that there was a God, instead of complaining that there might not be a God. What Gideon could have done a decade before, God was calling him to right the ship. He was calling him to stand up, act like he believed in God. Act like he believed that he was a human being. Act like he believed that he could save his people. God said to Gideon, it's time to right the ship. You have what it takes, God said. Take what you have and act like you believe what I'm telling you. Stop hiding. You know, God knows how to raise good kids. He knows how to raise contributors, not consumers. He knows how to raise righteous people, not religious people. He knows how to make sons, not slaves. He knows how to make brides, not babies. We know that when we see the the life of the Apostle Paul in the, uh, the, the, the ninth chapter of the book of Acts, when Saul at the time was persecuting Christians, killing the very children of God, people that had... Hearts enlightened to God. Saul, the psychopath, was hunting them down. Men, women, and children killing them in the streets. God had enough. Not enough, lightning bolt enough. That's what Ian would have had. God's enough was, I need to talk to Saul. God's enough was, I need to chat. And so on the road to Damascus, all of a sudden, Paul sees a bright light, so bright it startled him, knocked him off his horse, blinded him for three days. The voice that Paul heard was the voice of God. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I'll I'll, I'll ionize that for you. He said, listen, you knucklehead, it's not going to go good for you to fight me, I'm almighty God. Instead, you need to listen to me. You need to understand, Paul, who you are. You might think you're a religious leader, but I'm about to make you righteous. You may think you're a murderer, but I'm gonna make you an apostle. You may be a psychopathic serial killer, but I'm gonna turn you into the most influential Christian that's ever lived. Can I tell you why God can do that? God can do that because he knows how to raise good kids. But every now and again, daddy needs to pull together his kids and he needs to talk. He needs to be able to engage in our lives. He needs to be able to say what he needs to say. So he needs us to gather. He needs us to be together. He needs us to be willing to listen. Historical Christianity has not always been a safe place to gather. Saul was hunting them, Nero was hunting them, the tyrants were hunting them, the other religions were hunting them, and today the statistics are no better. All around the world today there are Christians who are gathering this very morning and taking their life into their own hands by doing so. They don't know if this will be the last day they can look into their children's eyes or hold their wife's hand. But can I tell you something? They're gathering nonetheless. Why do they still gather? Why do they do that? Are you somehow smarter than them? Are we somehow smarter than them? No. They just know something. They believe something. You know, perhaps in Second, cha- in second, ki- second Kings, there's a few lepers that may teach us the answer why today. This very day, right now. There are people gathering around the world, taking their life into their own hands and doing so. These lepers in 2 Kings chapter 7, in Elisha's day, there was this king of Corona. It was Syria or somewhere, but... We're going to go with the king of Corona that was besieging the nation of Israel. That besieging is a, is a, f- a very nice word that we use in the English language. What that meant was that the castle, the, the, the fortress that the Israelites had all gathered into. Now, the king of Corona had surrounded them and told them, you're not leaving your home. He shut down their economy. They were starving to death. The Bible accounts one story of two women who made an agreement one day where today they said, we're going to boil your child and eat him. Tomorrow we'll boil yours and eat yours. Strangely, they were fighting because the second one reneged on the deal. That's what the conditions were. They would sell a pint, no pint, you know, like a little milk cart, pint of dove poo would sell for $100. I'm so glad the Bible does not tell us what that person did next with that dove poo. And then there were these four lepers that the Bible t- t- talks about. That in this army now, the armies of Corona had surrounded, the, uh, Syria had surrounded the, the, the fortress of Israel. All of the people now were starving. Desperate time, desperate time. And there were these four lepers that were sitting on the hill looking down at the, at the armies, these massive hordes of, of armies and contraptions that had been Uh, 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 a raid around the city to prevent them from going in or out. And those lepers looked at each other and they said, you know what? Why are we just going to sit here and die? Let's at least do something. is what they're saying to each other. They convinced each other somehow in that moment, they convinced each other to go and do something. The lepers, they were... Quarantined. They were isolated. They were social distancing from everybody. Outcasts. Cultural outcasts. I know what they did. Like Christians nowadays, you know, I don't know if you knew that. You're a cultural outcast. I hate to tell you. So we got a lot in common with these lepers as they had the king of Corona surrounding them and shutting down their economy. and People starving in the streets. And they said to each other, let's at least do something. Let's at least act like there is a God. Let's just assume that God loves Israel. Let's go do something, I don't know. So they rose up the next morning can I tell you something that I'm skipping ahead in the story? Elisha shows up on the scene the day before because the king is all distraught. Obviously, he's hearing this story of these two women that we had to, he had to decide what to do now. And so, Elisha is <clears throat> the king is calling upon Elisha and saying, What do I do? He, he didn't call on the chief medical person, he didn't call on a judge. He called on the prophet and he said, what should I do? And Elisha, this is crazy. Elisha says to the king, at this time tomorrow, they're buying dove poo for a 100 bucks for a coffee cup, for a grande, not even grande, a a short. A 100 bucks a dove poo. There's no food, they're eating each other's children. And Elisha shows up to them and he says, this day tomorrow, you will be buying bread for a shekel. A, sh- a shekel, that's, a, that's the smallest, cur- like a penny. Today, a shekel is worth 28 cents if you're a currency trader. He says, this day tomorrow, you're gonna be, have a bread in abundance and it'll sell for a 28 cents a loaf. You know, then there's a guy that comes up, one of the king's men, and says the guy who the king leans on when he's, when he's standing. <laughs> that must have been a job at that time. <laughs> so that, that all of a sudden, the guy who the king leans on when he's standing says, you know what, oh yeah, sure, like God's going to open up the heavens. Maybe that'll happen if God opens up the heavens, the guy says, shouting and shaking his fist at God. Can I tell you something? God wasn't going to open up the heavens. God was going to send a leper. God wasn't going to come down here and do anything. God was going to raise somebody up to do something. So you find out the very next morning, these lepers having an isolated conversation amongst themselves in their quarantine state, that they should at least do something. Why sit we here and die, the Bible says at least if we get up and do something and die, at least we will have done something. Those four lepers rose up the next morning and they start their march down to the, to the, to the Coronavite army. And they, they were, their intention was to do I don't know what. Maybe kick them in the shins. Maybe spit in their porridge. But they were gonna do something. And they arrive in this camp. (laughs) They arrive in this camp, and the camp is empty. The tens of thousands of soldiers that had besieged Israel for months were gone. Not gone like packed up and left. Like left the porridge on the table, Goldilocks, and took off. And they tell the story that found out that god as these israel as these lepers lepers quarantined iso- isolated shamed people of culture as their feet were stomping down the hill to go and visit the coronavite army god made the heavens thunder in such a way that these guys thought That there was chariots uh, uh, coming at them. They were going to slice them and dice them. Scared their living pants off them. And they ran like little children. Because God knows how to raise good kids. If he just has an opportunity to talk to them every now and again. Raise them up, saying, you know what? There's a lot more with us than are against us. You know, can I tell you something? You're more than, than the coronavirus is telling you you are. You're not some whiny little, little animal that's going to be affected by some bird snot. You're a human being, a child of Almighty God created it, it is image and likeness with the power to believe and transform the world around you. God just needs you to rise up, you leper, and do something. Even if all you're going to do is get your butt out of bed and get back here next week. Pick up your phone and text the person who used to sit beside you but you haven't seen them since March the 15th. Call them and say, come on, get your butt in church. Is God real or not? You wanna wear a mask? Wear a mask. You wanna get a bubble? Be the boy in the little magic bubble and come to church. You want me to build you a, a little room over there? Go I'll build it for you. Come on, we're Christians for crying out loud. This is not a religion. It's not take it or leave it. This is almighty God we're talking about. Goodness sakes, if Jesus guarded in Gethsemane, if there'd have been coronavirus, that he'd have stayed home that day. Jesus wouldn't have stayed home because there was a virus going to get him before he got the cross. Jesus went to that cross and spat on it. Come on. We're Christians. Can I tell you something? Okay. Can I say where we're going to go from here? It's 1127. I'm so sorry. I'm not sorry. For those of you in Buffalo, I'm Canadian. We say sorry for everything. We don't mean it. We don't. It's part of our, you know, it's kind of like saying, hey, Here's what we're going to do. Are you ready? Come on. Are you ready? Anybody want to buy the t-shirt yet? Huh? Anybody want to buy the, I'm not, I'm essential. Come on. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to be polite. Bible tells us, you know, if you got faith to eat the meat and somebody else doesn't have the faith, don't shame that person and don't eat the meat. You're the big person. Okay. So be polite. Can I tell you what it looks like to be polite, Christian? It means wear a mask. Because I'm going to go to Walmart this afternoon, and there may be somebody who's going to go to Walmart, because they have to. They don't have anybody. And I, they're going to hear me like this, and they're going to think I got the, got the corona. I don't got the corona, but... I might scare them. Do you know how many people I want to scare other than you all today? <laughs> Do you know how many people I'm, I'm impressed to scare today? None. Zero. I don't scare nobody. You know, I'm not a, I don't wear a mask because I'm afraid. I, 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 I really don't, I, I, pfft, I don't care. I, I wear a mask because I'm okay with a very small burden. On my life to make your life a little bit better. So please don't go start fights about whether you wear masks or don't wear masks. Wear a mask. How many of you fight about, how many of you know, if, if I told you that I, if I went to the bathroom right before I preached today and I didn't wash my hands, how many of you would be okay with that? Would you shake my hand anyway? Can I tell you, my junk is my junk. I'm not washing my hands because I'm worried about my junk. I'm washing my hands because I'm being polite. Because if you shake my hand, you're hoping that what's on my hands is water. So be polite, come on Christians, be polite. Carry a bit of burden for somebody. Can I tell you something? There's people freaking out right now because they listen to the TV too much. And they're afraid, they're terrified. Maybe people don't come to church right now because they see on camera that you're not wearing a mask. Come on. I'm just going to let that settle because I know I can feel how mad you are at me. Can I tell you, we're going to try and get along as we go forward from here. We're going to try and get along with everybody's in their instructions. They make rules. You know, we're going to try and follow them. But can I tell you something, we're not gonna compromise our stand for the kingdom of God, not anymore. We're not gonna compromise our stand for being together as a church. We're not gonna compromise our stand for that the kingdom of God is the answer. I'm not gonna put my hope in some government or some president or some election or some some superstar medical person. I hope they're there. God bless them, I will kiss their feet when they invent a way to kill a virus. But can I tell you something? We're we're not going to stop the coronavirus. But in the meantime, we need to help the people. We have got off track as a culture. We have politicians that, because of the polls, by the way, who are more interested in fighting a virus which they cannot contain. Instead of fighting for the people who elect them there. Can I tell you something? I am not mad at these people, but can I tell you something? I will have my day in court with them because they are gonna have to get voted again. And I do not want people who are in office, if, with all of my heart, I do not want people in office who say the kingdom of God is non-essential. And I don't know where your vote is going, but I can tell you where my vote is going. And it's for somebody that's going to stand up and say, religious liberties are, a, are, a high, are the highest priority of our countries. And if you want to fight against that, then you are not going to get my vote. You're not going to get me to give, me, give you a nod next election day. And if those of you in the United States, you need to remember that. I'm not telling you who to vote for, but I'm not done. I'm not, gonna st- I'm not going to stop. Comp- we're not going to do that anymore as a church. I'm, I'm, I'm the chief cook and bottle washer around here. I get to decide when we lock the door and when we don't. We're not going to compromise God, his kingdom, or his church anymore. We have given them uh, the time they needed. If they squandered that time because they, they fought and bickered uh, too bad, we're going to assemble as a church. And we are not going to become symptomatic, by the way. Come on. Not one of us, not, can you say that with me? Not one, <laughs> not one of us are going to become symptomatic. I'm not saying we're going to set up a little Corona Fest in here. No. <laughs> can I tell you something? We are not going to compromise our stand of faith, hope, and love. Come on. I'm not going to become afraid. Nobody in this pulpit is going to stand up here and tell you to be afraid. Yeah. There, nobody's going to stand up here and tell you that you need to be scared of what's coming down the pike for tomorrow. And there's nobody that's coming in this, this pulpit that's going to tell you, you need to care about yourself more than you care about other people. That's never going to happen, not as long as there's breath in my lungs. Come on. We will not compromise that. And can I tell you something? Neither will we, will we compromise being a witness to the world around us, that we actually believe in what we're saying. Yes. We believe in the cross that hangs in the back of the sanctuary. We believe in the God that we declare, that, that, that wrote the Bible that we carry. We're not singing songs. We're declaring what we believe. Can I tell you something? We are mighty warriors, every one of you in this place. You know what? Whether you came today or you didn't come today, I got news for you. Whether you're sitting behind a wine press today or whether you're out licking somebody else's doorknob, you are a mighty warrior. Within you is the potential. Within you is the strength. Within you is the ability. To be the agent that takes the sickness and suffering that we see all around us. And let the kingdom of God fill the earth around us. We are those people. Can I tell you something? Let's not fight the wrong battles. We're not fighting against masks or Purell bottles. Or governments or viruses or our neighbors. Can I tell you something? We need to be. We don't need to be right. We don't need to get our way. We don't need to tell somebody else what they should or shouldn't do. But we do need to fight the battle, the real battle. Can I tell you where the battle is? The battle is for me, for Ian. The battle is right inside Ian. That's the battle God wants me to fight. Am I going to believe that God could use somebody like me? Can I believe that God is mighty enough to raise up good kids? Do we know who we are and what we're here for? Yes. Am I going to act like I believe in God and refuse to replace him with science or philosophy or some man's promises that he can do something that everybody knows he can't do? I got no problem with science, goodness sakes. I love science. I love logic. I love math. I love it all. But can I tell you something? It will never, not in my life or yours, it will never stand on a podium that says it's higher than Almighty God. Not in my life, not in your life, and not in this ministry's life. Can I tell you something? My hope is in God that He will not leave us and that He will not forsake us. And if we obey His commandment to gather together, to not forsake each other, that He will be with us, never leave us, and that He will never forsake us. Come what may. We're going to gather together as a church. We're going to turn the lights on every Sunday morning. You can invite whoever you want to invite, and don't worry, we'll be here. If I stand here by myself, well, ourselves, because if I'm coming, they're coming, and we'll be here. And finally, the battle on the inside of me is that, will I cross the swamp? Will I put my bike on my shoulder and cross the swamp and keep doing that until the whole world sees Jesus. Vote for who you want to vote for. Train yourself in medicine. Build your business and economy. Go ahead. I bless you as you do that, but never, not for one moment, forget. That God has never, will never forsake you.